to another installment of Engaging Politically with Grace and Truth. I'm Corey Guskey, one of your elders at Faith Community, and I'm calling this session Love versus Contempt. In this session, we have two goals to warn of the danger of contempt, possibly the greatest danger facing American society today, and to point to its antidote, the love modeled by Jesus Christ. In 2016, I was talking about the election with a very close friend, a believer I've known for many years, and I confessed I had some serious issues with one of the presidential candidates. I was very surprised when they snapped, oh, so you must love the other candidate. Now, this was a surprise for several reasons. Obviously, it's bad logic. Just because I'm not 100% on one side doesn't mean I'm 100% on the other. Also, this is a friend who knows me and knows I have concerns about the other candidate too. But most importantly, this was an emotional reaction I didn't see coming. Even for a moment, it was clear that a dear friend and a Christian was looking at me like I was the enemy. Now, it's no surprise to hear that our culture is becoming more and more polarized. That means any disagreement becomes this huge divide. There's no simple disagreement or seeing good and bad to both sides. Instead, every issue is a war. You're either on one side or the other. So any issue that comes up, abortion, gun control, what you think of wearing masks, well, which are you? Are you with us or are you with them? This is the warrior view of discussing politics that our pastor Steve talked about in his introduction. And it's a dangerous way to view the world. Obviously, it's not true. There is such a thing as being undecided or recognizing truths and faults on both sides of an argument. And many disagreements aren't as extreme as some people make them out, who want you to live in fear and hating the other side. More importantly, this leads to contempt. You can find the biblical definition of contempt in Luke 18.9, as Jesus looks at Pharisees who trust in their own righteousness and look down their noses at everyone else beneath them. You can find it in Luke 23.11, the attitude the Roman soldiers had toward Jesus when they mocked him. The point is, contempt says, I've got this figured out, and you? You're a nobody who deserves what's coming. You see, when there's a war over every issue, the person who disagrees with you is the enemy. That means they're not only wrong, but they're stupid and evil, and they must be crushed. Please note, this is not an exaggeration. There's a long history of violence exactly because two sides demonize each other until they say they have no choice but to fight. We've had one American Civil War. We can't pretend another one's impossible. Like it or not, contempt is a part of our culture because it is part of our sin nature, and it's so easy to let it creep into our hearts. Be honest. What's your gut reaction when you hear Colin Kaepernick? Fox News, global warming, Nancy Pelosi, President Trump. If you're not gritting your teeth a little, it's safe to say you're in the minority. But for the Christian, contempt is the opposite of how we must look at the people around us. Consider from the ESV, 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let all you do be done in love. 1 John 2, 9 to 10, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Colossians 3, 12-14 Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, 
which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Okay, I can hear you now. Sure, we're to love these people, but if they're wrong, shouldn't we stand against them? Well, first, don't rush past love as though it's easy. It's not. This has to be where we start from, or our response cannot possibly be Christ-like, because he did everything in his life motivated by love. Look at Mark 10. Jesus encounters the arrogant, rich young ruler. Jesus is going to send him away dejected and sorrowful, but don't miss verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Even in confronting this man, Jesus was bringing truth in love. Secondly, yes, we do need to stand in our society for truth, care for the helpless, and cry out for justice. This is what Steve talked about in part one. We are to be involved in government. But remember that we are to act as ambassadors, not warriors. We must not pursue truth by forsaking grace. Yes, we are commanded in Romans 12:9 to hate what is evil, but that phrase is couched very carefully. Listen to the context. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Okay, you say, but what does that mean practically, to choose love over contempt? Well, let me give you three applications to consider. Application one, start by listening. Jeff Howell's session touches on this point too, as he's guiding us through humility, but I hope you don't mind listening again. You see, some issues are black and white, murder bad, kindness good, but many issues are more complex. Now this is not the same as relativism, everybody's right from their own perspective. Some things are right, and some things are just wrong. But two things can be right at the same time. Let's give a practical example, and please take a moment to listen to where we're going before you react. Black lives matter. Still with me? There's a good chance you had a visceral reaction to these three words. They are the subject of lots of fighting. But why? About half the country hears those words, and they say, well, of course black lives matter. These are people who very recently in human history were treated as slaves, or three-fifths of a person. We need to stand up and say that we will not treat anyone differently based on the color of their skin. It's simple. Black lives matter. In fact, if anyone can't say those three words, they must be racist. They are the enemy and must be fought. Meanwhile, the other half of the country says, of course black lives matter. In fact, all lives matter. But Black Lives Matter is the name of a socialist organization that's been tied to violent protests. They're anti-police, anti-family, and anti-American. In fact, if anyone stands for those three words, they must be the enemy and must be fought. Do you see the issue? In practice, most people will agree that the lives of African Americans do matter, especially to Christians who know God gives value to all human life made in his image. And most people agree that violent protests and attacking police is wrong, especially since the vast majority of law enforcement are honorable public servants, including my own dad. Now listen closely. We must stand for truth against racism and hatred and any organization that promotes violence. But most of the fighting isn't coming from those extremes. It's coming from friends and neighbors who could gain a whole lot of common ground by asking questions and then listening to what the other person is really saying. Proverbs 18.13 says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Okay, so an argument comes up. Maybe somebody says something you can't believe a rational adult would say. Well, there's a decent chance they don't mean what you thought they did. 
The only way to know for sure? Ask them. And listen to their answers. I mean, actually listen. That's not being quiet and waiting for them to finish so you can get your turn. Listen just like you want them to listen to you. Seek to understand, not to be understood. And as you listen, offer others a charitable interpretation. For 1 Corinthians 13.7 says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Maybe the issue will get cleared up. Maybe you'll learn something. But even if there is a true disagreement, well, then we move on to our second application. Application number two, choose to love. You will run into disagreements, but that doesn't make anyone your enemy. There are many reasons to disagree, and most of those are opportunities for you to learn. Maybe you're both right, like we talked about before. Great. Well, maybe they're wrong, but they've got good motivations. Like many of you, I get to work in entertainment here in California. I've worked alongside rich and poor, famous and forgotten, gay and straight, Christian and pagan, and I mean like actually pagan, and they all have a reason for what they believe. I count many of them my friends. I've learned so much from how they view the world, and I remember how Jesus lived such a life among outsiders that he was smeared with the label of friend to sinners. Well, maybe these folks have a good reason for believing what they do, even if I will disagree with them about it. It's worth listening and finding out. Now, if you're still disagreeing, maybe it's because you're wrong. Look, we all know we're wrong about something, and there are a lot of people around us who could explain exactly how, but are we willing to listen to them? And the kicker, are we willing to change? That's certainly what we expect of other people when they hear new evidence. When you tell somebody what you've learned, you'd like to hear them say, actually, that's a great point, let me think on that. But are you willing to do the same? And finally, maybe they're just flat out wrong. So you've listened. You've given them the benefit of the doubt. You've considered where they're coming from. And it's just crystal clear. They're wrong. Maybe they're dead wrong. They're pushing something that's genuinely dangerous. Plus, they make no secret that they view you as an enemy standing in their way. Well, surely now you need to go to war, right? Stand up for your rights? Scold all the sheep who can't see the truth? Get them before they get you? But even to an enemy, you can still choose to love. Even as we stand for truth, and we must stand for truth in our society, we must do so in love. The problem with the warrior mentality is really simple. Jesus did not leave us the option. Matthew 5.44 says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Or one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, in Luke 10, Jesus commands us to love your neighbor as yourself. How does he make this point? He gives us the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, understand that Samaritans were the enemy of the good religious Jews of the day. Okay, so who are the people you would consider the enemy? Go ahead and picture somebody right now. And I'm serious, stop and picture them. And think of Jesus sharing the parable of the good conservative or the good liberal. And remember Jesus' words at the end. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The truth is, we are never less like Christ than when we lash out in anger or mock and belittle others. This should absolutely affect what you put on social media and give us pause to look with a new set of eyes before we ever hit send. It's not enough to speak truth. If you will be like Christ, you must partner truth with grace. Which brings us to our final application. Application three, shine 
brightly. When Steve opened up this series, he pointed out our role in politics is not to be warriors, but to be ambassadors to the king. And the king told us how we're to go about this. John 13, 34 to 35. A new command I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We know what the world is doing right now. They are polarized, fighting, fuming. Every headline is further proof of how right you are and how evil the other side is. But Christians are called to be holy, which means set apart. We are to be shining cities on a hill. If we want to stand out in a sea of contempt, we must do that with love. How we love our enemies, how we love our neighbors, and how we love other believers, that's how the world will know we are His. You've seen many arguments on Facebook, but have you ever seen mockery or anger change one heart or mind? But what the church has done through history that's changed lives? She's shined brightly with love that reaches out to those who don't deserve it. As it says in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans tells us that we were God's enemies when he showed us grace and called us to love the same way he does. And at the same time, the church has lovingly extended the gospel. 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. In conclusion, these are challenging times in a culture pushing us toward contempt. Now, in crafting this message, we worked very hard to make this an encouraging message that would challenge all of us to live like Jesus, but I wouldn't be surprised if something I said caused concerns for somebody. If that's you, then please reach out. Let us know. We need to be able to talk about disagreements in the church. I hope you'll talk to me. I know I've got a lot to learn, and I promise to listen. I hope you'll listen too. Finally, we want to have a Q&A at the end of this series to hear from you. So please send your questions to questions at faithcommunitychurch.com so we can work through them together and then look for a new podcast next Monday. In the meantime, follow Christ and let love win your heart over contempt. <laughs>